Well, I get to continue our series, Small Book, Big Idea, Knowing What We Need to Know, and this is in 1 John. Today we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. But before we read that and we get there, I'm going to ask you a question. How confident are you that the chair that you're sitting in can hold your weight? I hope you're confident because you're all sitting in it. So I'm assuming that you're confident. So how confident are you sitting in the chair right now? Because wouldn't it be absolutely embarrassing if you were laid up in the middle of the floor or the aisle right now? It's happened to me before. I know that. I'm sure there's other people that it has. But how did you get that confidence when you came in here tonight? Did you even think about that before I said it? Probably not. When you came in, did you bring a screwdriver and check all the screws before you sat in that chair? I didn't see anyone do that. Why didn't you do any of that? Because you have this confidence of this accumulated experience of sitting in chairs, right? And if you've been attending this chair, you have accumulated experience of sitting in these exact chairs. Well, this is kind of what our relationship with God and our faith in Jesus and our confidence in him works. There's a certain level of reason that we bring to the table when we examine our faith, the gospel and the true claims of the Bible, but there's a kind of confidence that starts to accumulate. Once we put our faith in Jesus, there's this additional confidence, this deepening, this sense of certainty that the gospel is true and that our relationship with God is real. This is God's desire for us as we're going through the letter of 1 John. His desire in writing these things to these believers was nothing to do with condemnation and everything to do with confidence. So remember, John was writing into a specific context here where there was a group of Christians who were watching other church members, these professing followers of Jesus, abandon their faith and they're completely rejecting the historical teachings about Jesus. And the remaining believers, these faithful believers, are kind of getting shaken and anxious and unsettled and starting to doubt whether or not they had the real thing. And John's goal for them, and God's, I believe, through this letter, was that they would have this renewed sense of confidence and not condemnation. So some of the passages that we've studied throughout this letter have been difficult to process. Uh, Maybe not for you, but they have been for me. Um, It can rock you a little bit, what he's saying, cause you to question things, but that's actually good. That's really good. God's goal isn't to condemn you, and if you felt somewhat shaken or challenged by some of the things that we've talked about, it could just be God's loving way of intervening into your life because he loves you so much that he wants to tear down these false things, these false confidences that build up with ourself and this self-deception. He wants to rebuild you in this true confidence that's based on truth and evidence that truth is at work in you. And if you came here today and you're not a Christian, that's okay. 
But I do want to tell you that this is God's desire for you. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what circumstance you come from, is he wants to bring you into this conviction of your sins so that you will turn from sin and begin to trust in Jesus. And he is the only place that you can really have true confidence, especially when it comes to eternal life. So we're coming on the home stretch. We're almost done, First John, right? And I want to point out something that I've really noticed as I've gone through the book. John seems to like rotate through. He like gives you a truth and then tells you to love. And then he gives you a truth about Jesus and then he tells you to love. It's this kind of cycle throughout the book. And there's four reasons that we've been looking at of why John wrote this book. So if you're new here today, you're going to be caught up to this series right now. So the first one is that we may have full, complete, and perfect joy. The second one, that we may not sin. The third, that we may not be deceived. And now today, that we may believe in the Son of God and have eternal life. So as we're coming to the closing part of this book, he's going to start to focus on two things which we can be confident. That we can have eternal life in Jesus, and the second, that he answers and hears our prayers. So let's take a look at the scripture. So 1 John 5, 13 to 15. I write these things to you who believe. So he's saying, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm writing this. This is the purpose of my writing. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's Jesus. So that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that when we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So this whole thing begins with this incredible celebration of confidence, okay? He says that you know, K-N-O-W, that you have eternal life. And the first thing he says, that there's this truth about Jesus, this truth that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh. He came down from earth as a human being, Right? He dwelt among us. He was hung on a cross, taking all the sins upon him. He was laid into a grave, resurrected up to life, dealing with and conquering with and doing away with our sin, then ascending in heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he intercedes on our behalf. And one day, he's coming back to make everything right. This is the truth that we believe. And John says, listen, if you believe that, and you take Jesus as the Christ, as the anointed one, as the Savior, the prophet, the Lord of your life, then you can know that you have eternal life. The whole reason I write this letter is so that you can have this confidence, you can have this insurance, you can understand that the creator of the universe himself promises you this, for sure, guaranteed, Absolutely, 100%. If Jesus is your savior, you have eternal life. And that's exciting. <laughs> and sometimes I think we hear it so much that it becomes so familiar that it just sort of rolls out of your ears. You forget how exciting that is. And it just doesn't seem to have the same impact anymore. See, God says that through Christ, you live forever in the fullness of life. And that's really exciting. 
And then the second thing he says is that you can know that God hears your prayers. So my kids, especially my two sons, have this incredible ability to keep talking to me even when I'm ignoring them. Okay, they really, their self-determination is really often commendable, to be honest. Uh, They will just keep on talking. I have told them about 10, 20, 30, however many times it is that day, they cannot play any more video games. And I've said no, every single time. And at a certain point, they're going to keep asking me, and I'm going to stop responding. It's just better for my mental health just to stop talking. But then... One of them will come up to me and scream, Mom, why aren't you answering my question? And I'll respond, well, I hear you. But what I actually mean is audibly my ears are registering that he's talking to me, right? And asking for me to do something. But I have no intention about doing anything about his request. Is this what John means when he says that God hears us? Does God just kind of hear these prayers that we shoot up into the sky, up into the dark, and they just land somewhere? No. That's not what God means when he says he hears our prayers. In verse 15, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. When he says that God hears us, he's also telling us that God answers prayer. This is all over the Bible. This is an inheritance of being the children of God. It's your inheritance. In Psalm 4, 3, it says, But know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. So if you're in Christ, you belong to God. So, as it continues, the Lord hears when I call to him. So you can have confidence, and if we read in Psalm 18, 6, and it says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. This is your inheritance as a child of God. This unifies us. Prayer unifies us. Why would we not constantly and confidently take advantage of this inheritance that we have? Not only because God hears us, but because God desires to and has the ability to answer prayers. But notice that he says, if we want to have confidence in our prayers this way, we have to ask not just anything, but anything according to his will. Talking about God's revealed will. Sometimes we won't know God's will. Sometimes we'll have no idea what God's specific will is. But there are some things that God has made clear and has revealed in his word. The Bible is full of God's commands and desires and promises. And if you really want to take your prayer level to the next level, begin to pray based on scripture, on specific truths and passages. Pastor John has been telling us that for years. So now what if I said that God said yes to every request? What would that look like? To make us all happy, wouldn't that make him truly a good God? See, let's look at this video clip in just a second here from a movie called Bruce Almighty. It's starring Jim Carrey. It's a ridiculous movie. He plays Bruce. And after a really bad day, Bruce Almighty ridicules and rages against God, and God responds. And he appears in human form, who is Morgan Freeman, (laughs) 
gives Bruce these divine powers and challenges Bruce to take on the big job to see if he could do any better. So please know there is no theological truth to this movie in any way. This is simply for fun and to have a fun illustration. Let's check this out. Well, you took the job, Bruce, so I suggest you get to it. Prayers, prayers, okay, prayers. Uh, this creepy whisper thing has to end. Organization and management. That's what I need. I need a system, something concrete. Concentrate. Files. Let all prayers be organized into files. Well, that takes care of the voices. Not exactly a space saver, though. Grace might notice. Prayer post-its! Okay, I need something with a lock. Security combination, a password. A password? Yo! You've got prayers. Welcome to the Revelation Superhighway. We bless, no mess. Downloading now. <laughs> it's good. It's good. This is gonna take a while. One million five hundred twenty-seven thousand five hundred and three prayer requests. I better manifest some coffee. this was actually only affecting his city, not the world, and saying yes to everything brought complete chaos. Some examples were that every single sports team tied, someone grew taller, everyone's kids made the teams they wanted, a woman lost 45 pounds just eating donuts, uh, tons of people had new cars, 400,000 people won the lottery. Now, I know these are all silly, and not big, huge requests. But I do believe that it shows us what some of our desires and our motives are at times. Sometimes we ask before thinking or counting the cost. We often seek things from God before seeking God himself. See, God sees the big picture. He is all-knowing and he's everywhere at once. He sees everything, past, present, and future, and is in it all right now. And don't forget this little thing that we like called free will. 
And many people, including me, including all of us, don't do the things that we're supposed to do. And to be honest, I can honestly say that I'm grateful for some of the prayers over the years that weren't answered in the way that I thought that they should be answered. So now back to God's will. There are some areas where I said we're not going to have clear and detailed promise. So there needs to become a humility, a sincere acknowledgement that God may have plans that we just are not aware of or that we would not approve of. There will be things, so many things, that we won't understand. Things that aren't fair and we don't think are fair, or why were those prayers answered and those aren't? I've heard it said many times that we live life forward but understand it backwards, and I really believe that that is true. But we should still pray boldly about anything, but with an attitude that says, God, my confidence and my devotion to you is not dependent on what you're going to do for me. If you don't answer this prayer the way that I want you to, I still have confidence in you because you are still faithful. I'm still devoted to you because you are worthy of my devotion. Well, what about unanswered prayers? Jesus had some experience with that. He was in the garden and saw the pain that was going to be before him. That's what he was about to endure at the cross, this physical and spiritual pain of separation from God. And he said this in Matthew 26. He's saying that he's overwhelmed and he wished this cup could pass from me. In other words, I wish there was another way to accomplish this salvation for us. And that's not a prayer that would be answered because he was sent by the Father to die on the cross for our sins. And so Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done, Father. And I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that Jesus yielded to that and said, not my will, but your will, Father. Amen? In order to enjoy this kind of confidence in prayer, something has to change in us, in you. We have to want what God wants more than what we want. I'm going to repeat that. We, want, we have to want what God wants more than what we want. A better way of saying it might be that God's will has to become what you want the most, even when you don't understand it. Don't get me wrong, God cares about every single detail of your life. He cares about your desires and he cares about your needs and your worries and your dreams, he does. But if that dominates and consumes your prayer life, if what you want and what you think you need consumes your prayer life, then you're missing out on this amazing invitation that God extends to each of us in accomplishing his will in this world. God is doing so much work in the world and we want to merge our lives into what God is doing, what God has willed to happen. When we begin aligning our prayer life with God's word, our prayer life just goes to the next level. Praying for the things that God has made clear that he cares about and that he wants accomplished in this world. But if we're honest, 
when we look at verses 14 and 15, I thought this too, we immediately apply them to what we need. Naturally, we just go straight there. But this promise of answered prayers is not just for our own benefit. God is inviting us to come to him with confidence on behalf of the needs around us. God's inviting us through prayer to become instruments of his world, of his will in this world and accomplish things for him. So God's not trying to play hide and go seek with you. He does not delight in you just being confused. He does not delight in you spending the rest of your life feeling distant from him. That's not Christianity. See, sometimes I've noticed what is normal, we often seek what is normal rather than seeking what's biblical. So what I mean by that is normal, unfortunately, for a lot of Christians, is to go through these religious motions and their Christianity knows nothing of a deep intimacy and fellowship with the living God. It might be normal, but it's not biblical. That is not what God desires for you. God desires for you to not just know about him, but know him. John is not just talking about some doctrine truth, but this personal experience, this day-to-day intimacy and fellowship of being thrilled and led and communicating with the living God of the universe. This is sensational. This is a gift. This is communing with God every day by these ordinary means of his grace. Does this mean it needs to sound fancy and holy and spiritual words? No. Just talk to him. Talk to him how you would talk to anyone. Talk to him. It's hearing him from his word and talking to him in prayer and seeing him answer. It's experiencing his love for you through, his fr- for, through your family, through your church family, through your local church, and watching him bring people who are spiritually dead to new spiritual life, just like he did for each of us. And it's knowing that joy of allowing him to use his gifts and his resources for his purposes. This is the life God wants for you. This is the life Jesus purchased for you. So press into it. The gift of eternal life has been secured in Christ. Hear that. It has been secured if Jesus is your savior, but the experience of it is not automatic. You have to press in. Like Paul says in Philippians 3.12, not that I have already attained or I am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay a hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid a hold of me. He wants you to experience eternal life. God does not want you to feel condemned. He wants you to have confidence, not confidence rooted in yourself, like self-righteousness that's gonna fail you, not confidence rooted in anything you could earn because you can't ever do enough to earn it. God wants you to have confidence before him that's rooted in the truthfulness of the gospel. That's assurance, the blessed assurance. So I'm going to ask you another question, which of course you're going to think to yourself, but think really hard for a minute. Have you prayed in the last seven days? 
If you haven't, why not? Did you have nothing to say? Were you too busy? Nothing to be grateful for? You don't expect anything to change? Or maybe you did pray the last seven days. Well, what if God answered all your prayers from the last seven days? Would anything in the world look different or just yours? Yes, talk to God about your life and your needs and your heart and thank him and praise him and yield to him. God has also invited you to these like bold, life-changing prayers, world-changing prayers, because the gospel is true. We can have confidence that God hears us. We need to take advantage of this. Prayer is so important. Prayer is important to the neighborhood church. We take it seriously. We believe that it makes a difference. It can actually, get this, save lives. It can bring life to people, life to relationships, to circumstances, to healing. It can save lives. And we trust the word of God here at the Neighborhood Church, and we believe that what God has inspired and what God has said in the Bible really does make a difference on earth and in the kingdom. So as we leave here today, we are leaving with two confidences and one opportunity. Confidence that in Jesus we have eternal life, Confidence that the eternal God hears our prayers and an opportunity to be part of his will, to be lifesavers, to pray for others, to pray for their salvation, to pray for Jesus, to bring new life and situations and addictions and healing and pray the scriptures, just pray. When you leave here today after we have communion, and I know it's fasting weekend, so you might have to wait, but there's gonna be little bags that you can take these with lifesavers, okay? And, and don't knock it till you try it, but there are gonna be ba bags of lifesavers, and if you can't eat them, because they're sugar, that's fine. Put them in your pocket, put them in your purse, put them in the car as a reminder of when you see that lifesaver to pray for somebody. If you do like lifesavers and you will eat them, eat it, and while you eat it, pray the entire time entire time that you're sucking on that lifesaver. I know it sounds silly and like some kind of kid or, or youth thing, but you know what? Life is full of distractions, and we can use these little, tiny, little reminders, right, to pray for people, to pray for the world, for the neighborhood, for our friends, for our city, for this church, for your family. What if every time now going forward you see a lifesaver and it sparks you to pray? Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? So worship can come up. So now in closing, I want to explain an important truth before we leave by comparing how our bank account works. You following? There's pending transactions and there's cleared transactions. And there's an extraordinary difference between the two. You have to be careful when you have something pending in your bank account because it's there, but it's not there. It's not money that you actually have that's cleared yet, right? It just kind of claims that you have money. Cleared means it's cleared, it's actually in your bank account, you have it, right? Because hypothetically speaking, there's nothing more deflating than when you swipe a card and it says insufficient funds and there's a lineup behind you, right? 
When Jesus died, all of his claims and promises were pending. Imagine what the disciples were thinking, what they were feeling. Maybe they thought they were wrong to believe in him. Was he crazy? Was he lying? But then, three days later, the check cleared. Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, demonstrating that he was God and that his sinless life and sacrificial death had paid the debt for our sins. God confirmed the truth of the gospel historically. So do you believe in Jesus Christ tonight? If this is all new to you, and you don't know him, or you haven't accepted him yet, please come talk to me or to one of the pastors after the service. We would love to talk this through with you, walk this through with you. But say you do know who Jesus is. Have you confessed your need for him? Your want for him? Are you clinging to him? Are you relying on him? If yes, then you know, K-N-O-W, know that you have eternal life. And it's not wishy-washy, you don't have it one day, and then you don't have it the next. You've got it. You have insurance of your salvation. And get this, the God of the universe, the creator of everything, hears you. If that's not a gift, I really don't know what else could be. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. We're going to go into a time of worship and communion. I'm going to pray out of scripture today simply because I've encouraged you to do it. So if you'd pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy, Father, and we worship you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done here, Father, in our lives and in our church, in our workplaces. Help us want what you want, Lord. Give us this day our daily bread, spiritually and physically, Lord, we ask. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. So help us forgive, Father, as you have done for each of us. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help us love what you love and hate what you hate, Father. So Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for our time here tonight. I thank you that your word is true and it's living and active and reliable. That you loved us so much, Father, that you sent your son to die for us so that we could have eternal life. I thank you that we can be confident that through Jesus we do have eternal life. I thank you for this gift of prayer, Father. I thank you that you hear us. So be with us now, Father, as we go into a time of worship, and then even as we leave here today and go into our households and our workplaces and our activities. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.